This is the Hellgate Podcast. I'm Chris Robbins, a worker owner at Hellgate, and I have a confession to make. I am a bit of a cycling freak. No, I don't race with my bros in Prospect Park or dream about pedaling across the country. No judgment to those folks, of course. But I love riding my bike around town. It's like a cheat code for New York City. You see and hear things you otherwise wouldn't. You often get to where you're going much faster, and it doesn't cost you $275 each way. While drivers look for parking, I often have a spot right out front, as long as there's a street sign. Biking is also just a lot of fun. No other mode of transit offers you the chance to experience the childlike joy of whizzing down one of our magnificent bridges. Look over at the sad people on the J train. No one is smiling. And based on the numbers, more and more New Yorkers are agreeing with me. Cycling rates exploded overall by 30% during the pandemic. According to the city's Department of Transportation, on any average day, New Yorkers take half a million bike trips. City Bike is about to celebrate 10 years of existence, and earlier this month shattered riding records, with more than 800,000 rides in a single week. The city has more than 1,400 miles of bike lanes. Roughly 600 of them are protected. In many respects, there's never been a better time to ride a bike in New York City. But, as any cyclist will tell you, New York has a lot more to do to protect cyclists and pedestrians on the roads. We still live in a town ruled by the automobile, and the traffic deaths tell the tale. So far in 2023, 13 cyclists have been killed on New York City streets. We're on track to have the deadliest year for cyclists since 2014. That was the year that then-Mayor Bill de Blasio started his Vision Zero initiative to get traffic deaths down to zero. Nine years later, and the administration of Eric Adams is still struggling to install traffic-calming measures like protected bike lanes and curb extensions. New York continues to lag behind our international peers, like Paris and London, in keeping our most vulnerable street users safe. Last week, a group of people holding candles and photographs gathered at the intersection of Franklin and Lexington Avenues in Brooklyn. This is where cyclist Adam Uster was killed in early May by the driver of a flatbed truck who was making a right turn. Adam was 39 years old, with a wife and two young daughters, ages three and six. He was the 13th cyclist and one of 79 people to be killed in a traffic crash this year in New York City. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, before we get started, before we invite up Frederic, we're gonna play some songs that were very meaningful to Adam. The crowd of neighbors and Safe Streets advocates spilled out into the crosswalk as his wife, Frederic, spoke about Adam's life and his death. Dear neighbors and bikers, thank you for coming out today for this vigil in honor of my husband, Adam. I am forever grateful to have been introduced to biking in New York City by Adam. It can be daunting and scary. And Adam's faith shows us the real danger of it. At the same time, there is a beauty in it that I wouldn't want to miss. Please give me the strength and give my girls the strength to continue biking, to continue enjoying life like Adam would have. The intersection where Adam was struck has been the site of more than 100 crashes since 2020, according to DOT data. 14 pedestrians, 15 cyclists, dozens of motorists have been injured there. One pedestrian was killed. This is what one neighbor who attended Adam's vigil had to say about this particular corner. So I live right across the street, um, right on the corner of the intersection where the accident happened. 
Um, I unfortunately was home when it happened, so I came out to help as best as I could. And, you know, it's just a terrible, terrible experience. This street is just dangerous in general. Like, I always feel uncomfortable crossing, but to have that happen right across the street from where I live, it's, it's a lot of things. It just has me on edge. Yet there have been no major safety improvements put in recently at this intersection. The city is filled with streets like this one, and our government is slow to act. Here's Danny Harris, the director of Transportation Alternatives, who attended the vigil for Adam. We would just talk as fellow parents trying to get around this city. The city that gives a disingenuous invitation to ride a bike. And what is the response from this city, from this mayor, from this council? Where are they? We have to simply convince them that human life, our life, New Yorkers who choose to get around by bicycle or walk, that our lives, our lives, are worth more than inanimate objects. We're here because this mayor keeps failing us. This council keeps failing us. This DOT keeps failing us. Enough of these vigils. So, yes, the risks of cycling are real. But they shouldn't deter you from hopping on a bike or pushing for a safer cycling future. The research is clear on this. More bike lanes means more cyclists, means safer cycling overall. And if you don't know how to ride a bike, there's plenty of places that offer lessons for the new city cyclist. Bike New York, the advocacy group, will teach you for free. As it turns out, not one but two members of Hellgate are just learning how to ride. Writer editors Katie Way and Adlin Jackson. They headed to McCarran Park on a gorgeous spring day for a lesson with Bike New York. Consistently, my fun fact when I meet a new group is that I... Uh, I learned how to ride a bike, but I forgot, and I don't know how to ride a bike now. Like, And it's always kind of embarrassing to be like, I can't ride a bike, especially when I have a reason so bad that it's like an idiom, you know? Um, but also, I think, you know, maybe I would have learned how to ride a bike sooner if I did not live here, because I know... Just like, whether it's like close friends or like people I'm sort of tangentially connected to. Like, I know people who've gotten really hurt riding bikes. So I was always kind of like hesitant because of that. But now that I get to do it uh, on the clock, all those fears are washed away. I mean, so I, I didn't, I like moved to Jamaica before I finished learning. So I did like tricycle and training wheels as a kid. And then it was like, my sister, who's like four years older than me, finished learning and she knows how to ride a bike. Uh, But yeah, I mean, in New York, I surround myself with a bunch of um, N plus one readers and bike culture is big. I get a lot of texts that are like, um, you know, uh, oh, I'll be right there. I just got to lock up my bike or like just just looking for a place to uh, put my bike. And I have three roommates and they all have bikes. So I'm surrounded by bike culture. Normally we would start you out with something like this. You put your both feet on the floor and you're just kind of moseying. You start, you start with a walk. So you're trying to simulate the motion of pedaling. And then eventually you're gliding, right? So essentially you're trying to get it to the point where you're keeping your feet off the ground for five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. That's the instructor, Aaliyah Barnwell. She said she's motivated to teach biking in part by her disgust with automobiles. She's been teaching new riders for seven years. 
the, the personal car is like the single worst invention named to man. Maybe up there with like, I don't know, guns, atomic bombs. I don't know which one is worse. That sounds very dramatic. I still drive and I understand I enjoy it, but as far as like building our entire infrastructure and lives around it, it clearly isn't working out, so we've got to figure out a way to pivot. I'm gonna see the, the best way I can help with that transition. That was a good get up. Oh, so another little pro tip when you're getting on and off, grab one of those brakes. Gotcha. So that it doesn't run away. So that makes it over. Damn. Oh, she looks you really going now. Oh, yeah. Crank into that. Independence. Start with one pedal stroke. I'm gonna run next to you. I'm here. Okay, we're really moving. Oh! Oh, he's ready. He's really getting going. So easy compared to working with children. <laughs> yeah, right. Hopefully. Far less here. That's what I wanted. That, that's good. You just haven't seen me. I've been crying. <laughs> well, it's because your mom's not here yelling at you. I know. Yeah, there we go. Tough. Bounce right <laughs> up over. If you had more speed, we're ready for mountain biking. All right. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm so sorry. Oh, shit. Yes, some blood was shed in the process of making this podcast. Oh, I got to get over there. Give me one second. You okay? Uh-huh. Took a tumble. Yeah, Took a little tumble. It was mellow. At least we both fell down, you know? <laughs> It's not the end of my bike journey. Or, you know, I might be a scooter guy. I was saying I might be a scooter guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. What, you mean but like it sounds like Katie and Adlin had fun. It was funny to get a taste of like, oh, this is what it would be like to ride a bike. But also like, I still cannot do it. I cannot turn. I fell over twice after hitting the curb. Um, I would like to pursue it because it is just like, oh, I like, I get, I, you know, I get the hype. Um, yeah, but like some, some like some course environment, like I don't really, I think I would like to continue to learn from an instructor or at least someone who would be patient with me in a way that I wouldn't feel guilty about, which I think is the nice thing about taking a class. My first task, because I don't know how to ride a bike at all, was uh, to, without pedals, kind of like waddle and then glide for five seconds with my feet off the ground. And that took the better part of like half an hour to achieve, but uh, but we did it and we got the pedals on. And then we did a little bit of pedaling. And we had a little tumble and then, and that's, yeah, that's, that's the story. It's not gonna happen in one session, but it will happen. I mean, catch us next year when we're both fucking at the Tour de France, you know? <laughs> Watch out, Lance Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hi, hello. This is Chris Robbins again. In case you haven't heard, Hellgate recently celebrated its first birthday, and we're keeping the party going. If you like what you're hearing, give us the best gift a worker-owned newsroom could get, a subscription. Until Sunday, May 21st, we're dropping prices on our annual supporter and believer subscriptions and expanding who can take home a sweet union-made Hellgate hat. You could sign up for our annual believer subscription for $150, a 25% discount. That gets you a Hellgate hat, Hellgate stickers, commenting privileges on the website, and four exclusive quarterly events with the Hellgate team. But that's not all. 
we're dropping the price of our annual supporter subscription to 75 bucks, also a 25% discount. And what does that get you? A whole lot more than it did. For a limited time, it gets you a Hellgate hat, Hellgate stickers, and commenting privileges on the website. Help support a new model for worker-owned journalism and visit hellgatenyc.com to subscribe now. Okay, back to the podcast. Ten years ago, when the Bloomberg administration was about to unveil the bike share system known as CityBike, people lost their fucking minds. We now look at a city whose best neighborhoods are absolutely, you know, begrimed, is the word, by these blazing blue Citibank bikes, all of the (laughs) finest, most picturesque parts of the city. It is shocking to walk around the city to see how much of this they have sneaked under the radar in the interests of the environment. A Pulitzer Prize-winning Wall Street Journal columnist authored a column called, quote, Death by Bicycle. West Village NIMBYs sued. Community board members compared the Bloomberg administration to the Taliban. Delia Efren used the New York Times to talk about how pissed she was at the color blue. Today, City Bike literally cannot expand fast enough. The system is far from perfect, but it's wildly popular and a boon to public health. Those photos of Leonardo DiCaprio on city bikes are iconic. Eric Adams promised during his campaign to subsidize city bike with municipal funds, like the city's ferry service, but so far that hasn't happened. Currently, city bike is owned and operated by Lyft, the rideshare company. So what happens when essentially a public utility is operated by private interests? My colleague Max Rivlin-Nadler spoke with Michael DeGeorge, a loyal city bike user who one day found himself in a bizarre situation. So, all right, walk me through it. You go, uh, like, how did you discover that your your account was deactivated? Yeah, the weekend um, where I learned about this issue with my account, it was the the MTA had just stopped running all of the trains, the NNW in Asoria. So my options were super limited. So I was on a shuttle bus and I realized, my God, this is a perfect day to take a city bike. I was meeting a friend in the Upper East Side anyway, so I could just take the Queens Aurora Bridge over. And uh, when I went to unlock a bike then, I got an, a notification on the app that just said that my account was on hold, which is so general that I just assumed it was some sort of mistake or something. So I didn't really think much of it, but I just started you know, messaging with the um, their support team. And after a bit of back and forth, they told me in this like really resolute, tone that my account had been permanently deactivated and when I asked for like some form of clarification they just made reference to like a vague violation of the terms of service and then were like this decision is final like one of the messages was like we've reviewed this manually and this decision is final but they still hadn't even said what this this alleged violation was so I had to keep reaching out to them and and I CC'd my city council member. I really just, I wanted an explanation for this. They had charged me for my yearly membership just two months prior. But beyond that, I just, I used CityBike all the time. I wanted to be able to use it. And actually I realized like, I don't know how long my account was, CityBike Lyft account was deactivated for because I never take Lyfts or Ubers or anything. I very rarely do that. But I went to to order a, a car on Lyft and it said that my account was on hold. And so it's so funny that it would like show up in your Lyft account first, right? Like you taking a cab had something to do with you riding a bike. 
you're trying to get help and you mentioned that you go, you CC'd your council member. What did they say to when you were trying to like solve this? One would assume the city would have some oversight over this. So my council member is Tiffany Caban and someone from her office reached out like the next day. I was really happy with like their response time and everything. And and the um the staff member who reached out was super sympathetic, but at the same time was pretty unsure of how to go about getting this fixed for me. He explained that while of course, City Bike has a relationship with the city and apparently, you know, the Department of Transit is able to, to dictate where City Bike can set up, you know, bike racks and that sort of thing. They can't actually, they don't have any jurisdiction over how City Bike runs its app and how it how it manages memberships and that sort of thing. He said he would let me know, he would try to figure something out and give me someone to reach out to to get this rectified. So you kept going back and forth with Lyft. What, what did they ultimately tell you? Finally, the like the final boss of customer service I lived is tells me that my account has been deactivated permanently because of an alleged physical assault. Needless to say, I've never that I've never uh, physically assaulted anyone. I'm I'm like extremely conflict averse, and if anyone ever tried to fight me, I think I would run away. Like I I'm like incapable of fighting people. So it's an absurd accusation, but again, they just say it in this tone that's like oh, well, this is, this is how it is. And you're, you're never getting your account back. You know, they're like just stonewalling me completely. So I responded, like I had a, two separate responses because initially I fired off responses like, this is absolutely absurd. I can't believe this is happening. Like I, I've never been involved in a physical assault, blah, blah, blah. And then the second response was a little bit more measured, but was just like, can I have some details about this allegation even? Like, where is this even said to have happened and when? And so how does it feel in your current moment to kind of have this, because you've searched your soul, right? There is just like no thing you're blocking here about anything that would trigger lift in any way. Nothing. I thought about like, have I ever even gotten in an argument with a lift driver or something? But I haven't. And also there's like, there's no incentive for a lift driver to make up an allegation like this. Because like, I'm sure if making a false allegation as a driver, there's, there, you, your account is probably deactivated if you do that. There's no reason that someone would do that. So staring down a summer of like not having access, what does that kind of like deprive you of? And how does it feel like that technically this is like, quote unquote, public transit? Yeah, that's what really makes me angry. Like the idea that they can do this unilaterally when City Bike, at least at this point, feels like an essential part of the like public transit infrastructure in the city. I've come to rely on it. It, it, Again, if there's if a train is not running on a weekend or there are delays, I can always or I used to be always to just hop on a city bike without really thinking about it. So now to to be unsure as to whether I can ever use the service again is just so insane to me. And it further solidifies this idea I had even before this happened to me that that city bike should be run by the city in some capacity. It should not be run by by a private company that can do this sort of thing. Give me the creeps, sort of like they're just like issuing these little like pronouncements about my account and everything. And they're like just offering no details. Since we published Michael's story on HellgateNYC.com, Lyft restored his account and blamed the deactivation on a, quote, glitch. Hmm. If something like this has ever happened to you or someone you know, reach out to tips at hellgatenyc.com. Alrighty, that is it for this week's Hellgate podcast. 
Hellgate is a worker-owned, subscriber-funded news outlet covering New York City. Our editorial team is Adlin Jackson, Nick Pinto, Max Rivlin-Nadler, Esther Wong, Katie Way, and me, Christopher Robbins. Nadia Tykolsker is our business manager. Lauren Vespoli is our producer. Our theme music is by Groupwork. You could find their music on Bandcamp and all streaming platforms. This podcast is engineered by Crutchphrase Studio. Special thanks to Aaliyah Barnwell and the team at Bike New York. That's bike.nyc. During the week, check out hellgatenyc.com for daily reporting, in-depth investigations, and more stories about New York City. And if you like the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>